This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Gosselin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. I want winners. Just a reminder, the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by a winner. That would be Geico, or just 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. And you probably should have gone 15 minutes ago. Hey, our next guest, James Harris, holds a prominent place in NFL history. He became the first African-American to open a season as a starting quarterback when, in 1969, he opened as a rookie with the Buffalo Bills. Now, James was an eighth-round draft pick out of Grambling, who also became the first black quarterback selected for a Pro Bowl and opened the door for the Doug Williamses, Warren Moons, Randall Cunningham, Steve McNair's, Michael Vicks, Cam Newtons, and Russell Wilson's at that position. Now, like James... Williams and McNair also played for historical black colleges and universities, the HBCUs, we call it. And James is with us today to talk about that talent pipeline to the NFL. James Harris, thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me, and special thanks for this topic you're speaking on. Hey, James, would you have had the opportunity to play quarterback in the NFL had it not been for Eddie Robinson and the Grambling Tigers? I don't think so. Because uh, Coach Robinson had a plan. He was challenged by Howard Cosell. Uh, he's producing so many players why he couldn't produce a quarterback. And although the NFL wasn't ready uh, when I graduated from high school, he said in four years they would. And he went on to go through the NFL, bring back concepts, and during the offseason we would work on them. And four years later, uh, I had a lot of extensive information on the NFL that I thought I was prepared to compete. So I don't think so. I owe a lot to Coach Eddie Robinson. When you arrived in, in, in Buffalo, uh, you know you knew how it was in the NFL. Uh, there was Sandy Stevens around, Eldridge Dickey, Marlon Briscoe. They were elite black college quarterbacks in the 60s, but when they got to the NFL, they got moved immediately to other positions. Uh, Marlon Briscoe has told me a story about two 14 touchdown passes as a rookie, and then that April got a call from his teammate saying, why aren't you the quarterback meeting? He said, because nobody told me. So... Uh, <laughs> That <laughs> was amazing. So how did an eighth-round pick such as yourself uh, emerge as a starter as an NFL rookie? And did you know what you were getting into or, or, or what the prejudice was at that time? I had really researched. I was a fan of the game. So I'd research the game. I'd even go to the library when I was a junior. I followed Marlon Briscoe, Eldridge Dickey, and Jimmy Ray uh, each week to see what happened. I thought Eldridge Dickey, one of the best I've played, would make it. Uh, he switched into a position. So I understood, you know, what the obstacles were. But I think one of the reasons I had success because I was really prepared to, to play by coach, both mentally and physically. And the one thing was uh, during that time is that you just couldn't miss. You know, you couldn't miss. And I probably threw the ball as well as I could at any, at any time in my, in my career. Jack, I just thought I'd mentioned, uh, you mentioned Jimmy Ray. Anytime we have a Michigan State player mentioned on the show, we have to pack Rick Goslin and ice. He goes crazy. He loves those Spartans. Loves those Spartans, and he loves Jimmy Ray. We're speaking with former quarterback James Harris on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, James, um, the HBCU, as we know, was once such a great talent supplier of the NFL, uh, and it Gave us players like Walter Payton, Jerry Rice, of course, Deacon Jones, Archell, Willanier, Buck Buchanan. All of them are Hall of Famers, and, and they all came off HBCU campuses. But the HBCU hasn't produced 
a Hall of Famer since Michael Strahan in 1993, and hasn't produced a first-round draft pick since Dominique Rogers cromarty in 2008. Does it sadden you to see the decline in the quality of a player or in the caliber of football there? Absolutely. Especially, you know, playing during an era when we had the absolute best talent in the country to see where we are today. I also realized uh, the opportunities that young players have today with the major universities. I understand, you know, why they want that experience. But I just feel there's too much separation between the talent that we're getting. And I think some of the players who are not successful at Texas and Texas A&M and these different places should consider HBCU schools. I would like to, I, I think we need more support in terms of people speaking on behalf of our universities with our history. We produced a lot of outstanding graduates in the country, not only in football, we are very successful around the country. And I think uh, I'd like to see that part of it change back. James Grambling in particular developed into a direct pipeline to the NFL. Willie Brown, Willie Davis, Buck Buchanan, Charlie Joyner all became Hall of Famers off the Grambling campus. Sammy White, Doug Williams, Albert Lewis, Pro Bowlers. Is there still magic in the Grambling name? I think it is. And I think it is because all those who had the experience of playing during that time or watching us play realized not only Grambling, but all the black schools had a superior talent, had as good a talent as anybody in the country. And they've told our story, and they told it to their kids, and as you travel around now, your people still know the grandma's story and a lot of other stories. I think the biggest thing we have is that we can't get the financial, we haven't been able to get the financial support to match the tradition and accomplishment that we have uh, achieved. You know, one thing I'm, I'm wondering, Shaq, is when, when you came to Buffalo, how much pressure were you feeling, you know, outside of your own play? I mean, how much of a burden did you feel you were carrying for everybody else? That if you didn't do it, uh, then a lot of people were going to say, well, see, we, you know, none of these guys can do it. Did you feel that when you got to Buffalo? When I got to Buffalo, uh, I had put everything behind me. But before I left going to Buffalo, going up in the segregated South, I understood that uh, about how America, there were no black quarterbacks, no black governors, no black corporate executives. So I didn't think I had very much of a of a chance. And once I was drafted in eighth round, then uh, decided not to play. Coach Robinson talked me into playing, and with that, and with that, said some very powerful words to me. That if I if I went to the pro ball and didn't make it. Don't come back and say the reason you didn't make it was because you're black. And if you go, don't expect it to be fair. You know before you leave, you got to be better. And those words, profound words, kind of prepared me when I got to Buffalo, although I was seventh on the depth chart. We realized I may not get the one opportunity, but I was representing the opportunity of the other guys who may come after me and you know, I had to do everything I could to make sure the reason that I didn't get cut was because I wasn't steady. I wasn't preparing. And with that in mind, when I got there, I was nervous, but I wasn't scared. And I was, got through the grace of God, I was able to play well that year and make it. The thing that, some of the things that you had to play through 
was a lot of hate mail. You know, the fact that coming out of the South and I didn't have, uh, hadn't talked to a lot of white people during my experience, and now I had to step in the huddle and call the plays, that was as challenging as anything for me. Uh, James, and we're speaking with James Harris, former quarterback on the Talk of Fame Network. James, one question I, I want to ask you, just backtracking a little bit. You said you would like to see more support for the uh, HBCU and more financial support. Uh, seeing players maybe go from a Texas where they may be not starting or uh, USC, some of the major schools, and, and maybe going back to the HBCU where they could sort of rekindle those uh, careers. And you'd like to see more support, more, fi- more financial support. How do you propose that would happen, and do you think that's realistic in this day and age? I don't, you know, I don't know if it's realistic, uh, how realistic it is. I know there are a lot of organizations that are, you know, donating money for for education and to help, you know, others. And certainly these educators, I mean, these schools are providing some of our leaders of the future, and if some of the people who have foundations and charities uh, uh, can uh, lend a helping hand to, to some of our schools, I think it would be very well appreciated. If they adopt some of the schools, then it would be very well appreciated. James, after your playing days were over, you enjoyed a, a pretty successful career in talent evaluation. You are personnel director of the Ravens when they won that first Super Bowl. You're vice president personnel of the Jaguars, senior personal executive of the Lions. So you obviously know what a player looks like. So I'm going to toss this one into your wheelhouse. Who's the most talented African-American quarterback you've ever seen? Aside <laughs> yourself. Aside from you. Yeah, aside from you. Right. Yeah, that's, something's no, wrong. I wouldn't, <laughs> I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say that. Let me put it to you this way. I think, I think Eldridge Dickey, who I played with in college, was the best quarterback I ever played, played against. I mean, in college. And I was certain that he would make it in the NFL. And I feel I feel badly that he didn't get a chance to play because he was before his time. Doug Williams is the best college quarterback I've ever seen. He threw 38 touchdown passes for Coach Eddie Robinson's team who didn't believe in throwing the ball. Uh, and finished fourth in the Heisman during a time that it wasn't fashionable. Warren Moon was a great quarterback who should have been drafted in the NFL had to go to Canada. You know, I think those are superior talents in terms of guys that I've seen play. And Marlon Briscoe wasn't a bad quarterback either. James Harris, neither were you. You were terrific to watch, and thanks so much for the time, and thanks again for the education in the HBCU. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, James. That was former quarterback James Shaq Harris, and he's in the HBCU Hall of Fame in Canton, and Gusta didn't take a a genius to figure out where it's located it's on the first floor or to find James Harris. You look in that exhibit, he's right there on the left side staring at you. Great picture of him from college. Yeah, James Harris, Doug Williams, uh, those are the two guys that founded the right. hall, that established this hall, and it really does need a larger space. I mean, there have been so many great players that have come out of that uh, that uh, historically black college universities. We need to better present that product because that was such a, a lifeline for the AFL and some of the NFL teams in the 70s, just so many great players. Yeah, including Charlie Joyner, who's, I think it was helmet or his uniforms there. I, I love seeing that because, as Shaq said, the greatest slot receiver in NFL history. Yeah, without question. And I'll tell you what, there are corners and wide receivers. You could pick about five all-pro teams with those players.
Okay, well, we're going to be talking to another member of the HBCU, and that would be former tackle Archell. He's coming up right after this. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.